Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hoorah! Well, we are lifting the lid. We are lifting the lid this morning. Uh, You know, this is a series that uh, I just find so exciting because really it's one of those sort of unlimited potential sort of moments. It's, it's one of those things where we kind of, we are able to look at that sort of potential upon our lives and, and see really what is maybe obscuring it, what's obstructing it. Uh, our, uh, our capacity to express the righteousness of God through the talents that he's placed within us and through those spiritual motivations that sort of cling around our lives. So just, just to lift those lids off and, and allow that righteousness, allow that testimony of God to be communicated to the world. And you know, to enlarge your capacity is a good thing. Amen? It's, it's a good thing because, because it implies maturity. It implies maturity. To, to become enlarged, to grow, is to, is, is to be mature. And some of you might be asking, well, what's so great about being mature? Well, uh, I have a, a, a little boy, and he's, he's very little. He's like, like that height or something like that. Ben. And uh, he's really scared of dogs. Now... I think he's really scared of dogs because his older sister literally freaks out whenever she sees a dog. So he reckons it's probably something to be uh, worried about. But I actually think of it from his point of view. If I was like that size and, you know, most dogs, they run really, really fast and they are about the same size as him. If like a lion came running at me, I'd be a bit scared. But you know what? When you grow... You, you outgrow the, the daunting obstacles of your life. You know, when you become larger than a dog, you're not really so worried about a dog, you know? But when you're like a foot tall, a dog is a daunting prospect, isn't it? A daunting prospect. It's something to be a little bit afraid, a little bit shy away from. And as we grow and as our capacity grows and we become mature, we outgrow those daunting obstacles. And fair enough, more obstacles come their way, but we have the potential to outgrow those as well. Yeah. Amen? Amen. You know, there's that innate instinct within us to grow. It's something very natural about sort of a desire to grow. You, you hear little children talking, how old are you? I'm uh, seven and three quarters. <laughs> I say I'm 21 and, you know, 300 months. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't try and, but they, they, they want to grow. Uh, I have a, a great desire to grow a beard one day. Uh, I would love to grow a beard. I'll tell you what, when I am able to grow a beard, I'm just going to have a different beard every week. I'm just going to come in here, I'll like, be like that one week. Maybe have a pipe to go with it, and then I'll have like a big handlebar moustache. I'll just have a different one. I'll look like I'm in uh, that game Guess Who. <laughs> I'll come in, I'll have a pair of crazy glasses on, a crazy moustache, you know. I can't wait for that day. I want to grow a beard. I want to grow. It's something natural on the inside of me. Uh, <laughs> It's not, yeah, unfortunately, it's not something I'm naturally predicated for. Darn those childlike DNA. But you know, there's, there is always a lid uh, that sort of impedes our progress. Uh, like almost like friction that works against whatever we are advancing towards, that wants to oppose the enlargement and the increase that sort of is, is natural upon the inside. We all kind of, we all have those sorts of, we've all experienced those. In, in, in social studies, I remember being uh, taught at school, they, they talked about the concept of the glass ceiling. 
And the glass ceiling was something that, uh, where, where women in the, in the workplace would, would, would struggle in their careers because they would feel as if there was a point they could get to their careers. And then just this sort of the male sort of framework, the, the, the dominant male framework would just sort of hold them down. They like to remain that sort of that all-boys club. And it, it was deemed or termed the glass ceiling because there wasn't, it didn't look as if there was anything there impeding uh, a, a woman's career progress, but there definitely was. There was a, there was a sort of a, a saying that went along with it. A, a woman must work twice as hard as any, any man to be considered half as good. A woman must work twice as hard as any man to be, work, to be considered half as good. Now, I would hope that we, since we're in the 21st century, to some degree, to a large degree, that might not be there. But I, I'm not a female, and I feel as if I would probably be fairly remiss to start saying oh, we're all enlightened and things like that. I suspect there is... All sorts of degrees of that in which it still sort of exists. But they are lids that, that re- restrain and prevent the progress and the enlargement of our lives. And they, they, are, they are present in all aspects of our lives. And what they do is they, they have the effect of canning our potential. Yeah. Canning it. You ever see those uh, comedy stores where like, you open up a can of beans and like, a snake flies out? Anyone seen that? No? It's just me. It was, it's really funny. So hand someone a can of beans, they open it up, a, a springed uh, snake goes flying out, it cans potential, potential energy. Yeah. All that potential canned up because there's a lid that's opposing your progress. Yeah. Well, I want to pray this morning, I want to I start off this message and, and just, just really believe that we're going to have an opening up, that those lids yeah. are going to be removed and that all impediment would be removed. Dear God, we just thank you, Lord, for your power this day, God, that you did not call us to live beneath lids, to live beneath glass ceilings, God. You have, you have called us to be enlarged, God, to enlarge our tent, God, to be made larger on the inside and made larger in our influence in this world, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in this place and what you're doing in the minds and the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, a number of years ago... Uh, a few, of us, a few of us young lads from the church, back when I was a young lad, uh, we, we, and I wasn't even, I was the old lad with the young lads, and uh, we decided to go uh, mountaineering, and we decided to go up Ben McDewey, which they didn't tell me at the time was like the second highest peak in Scotland. If they had, I might have said, ah, you know, I'm busy that weekend. But uh, I went with, one of the people I went with was uh, Joe, Joe Upton, and uh, Joe is a... Uh, I don't know how much mountaineering he does. It's probably just down to his general athleticism. But he, he just bounds sort of effortlessly up these, up these hills. He's like sort of like a sprite young border collie. Just, just, just being like, being like, hey guys, come this way. You know, here we go. And they'd be, they'd be like a gazelle. You know, he's kind of, it's because there's nothing on him. He's got like more meat on a butcher's pencil. Uh, he's like gravity doesn't have the same effect on him as the rest of us. He just sort of strolls up and then strolls down. He probably walked like twice as far as the rest of us. Just boundless energy. I bounce near a little bit more like an arthritic spaniel. <laughs> like sort of. There's, there's none of that with me. I said, "All right, Joe, you made me tired just looking at you." <laughs> and. Uh, I was just so slow. I, I mean, they were, they were all, uh, they just went up the hill and, 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 and I would be like walking behind them. And I think people took like pity on me. They'd like take turns of walking with the slow one. <laughs> I was used to be not, I used to be the fast one. And I remembered having pity for them, but really not really liking them very much. And I remember, I, it's the worst one. It's like you, you're walking, you're so tired and, and you see them all waiting ahead. And you're like, oh, great, a breather. And you, you walk up to them and say, hey, guys putting our feet up for a minute, and they just turn and you say, oh, no, we're just waiting for you, James. Come on, let's keep going. And you're like, oh. <laughs> you just have to keep going. And we made it to the top of this hill, and it was just, 
my, I think I was just muttering about my short, chubby legs and just how they were so close to each other and I walked like a spaniel. <laughs> I was so miserable. And uh, we got to the top of this mountain and I mean, we thought it was the top of the mountain. There was fog everywhere. We couldn't actually see anything, but we presumed we were at the top. It looked like it. I said, yeah, we're definitely at the top. We can go down now. Um, and we had, our, we had a quick lunch and finished all our food. And it was like, right, let's, we can go downhill now. But like 10 minutes later, we got lost. We weren't paying attention. And we, we found ourselves sort of wandering around up there for quite a long time. And, you know, we were, after, after like a few hours, we were all pretty tired and pretty hungry and just trying to find our way back. And I think we managed to find the track. And I found myself walking with Joe at one point, And I realized I wasn't at the back anymore. I realized there was, there was another guy who drifted off behind me, and I just I was like really quite pleased with myself. Oh, don't worry, Joe, that's, that's the fags catching up with that guy. <laughs> don't worry about me. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a consistent walker. You know? I'm, not a, I'm not a sprinter. You know? I'm, a, I'm, I'm a constant pace. I start as I mean to go on. I am like a human metronome. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Joe was like, yeah, sure thing, James. <laughs> anyway, we, we got down, and we... And we saw he was miles off, so we waited for him. And I was thinking, great, as soon as he gets here, we are off again. And uh, it comes off, all right, guys, are we going to take off? And he said, oh, sorry, guys, sorry, I, I lagged behind. And we're like, all right, why was that? He said, oh, I found this packet of 24 bite-sized scotch eggs in my rucksack. And uh, I was pretty hungry, so I ate them all. <laughs> we were all like, you did what? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I was really starving. Hey, does anyone have the rubbish bag? I've got the, the packet here. We advised him it would be best that he kept hold of that or else the scotch eggs would be reunited with their packaging as we shoved it down his throat. <laughs> it was not a great moment. Uh, the lid was lifted all right. The lid on that 24-pack of scotch eggs was lifted all right. But the question I have for you today is, is the gratification of ourselves a satisfactory outlet for the resource? Is, is the gratification of ourselves when God resources satisfactory? Is that satisfactory to God? When, when, when what he gives us pleases ourselves, pleases ourselves, satisfies ourselves uh, to the exclusion of all else. I want to read to you from Isaiah 54, 1-3. This is our key verse that we have, been, uh, we have been using for this Lift the Lid series. It says, Sing, O barren, you, have not, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married women, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. There's a, couple, there's a bit of sort of... A, a, there's some pictures created for you in that. They talk about the, the desolate women and the, and the married women. And you see the desolate, the barren and desolate women in that, that, that refers to the Gentiles, basically everyone who wasn't a Jew, you and me. Uh, that, was, that was us. We, before Christ came, we had no outlet. We had no way of having a relationship with God. We had no way to eternal life. We had no way to be filled with the Spirit. We, we, were, we were barren and desolate. We were on, a, we were on to a loser. We had no uh, opportunity to get beyond that. But it says that the married, it says the married women, the married woman was, the, was, was like the Jewish nation. But the Jewish nation, although it was married to God, it was in covenant with God, it was repressed. Mm. 
It was repressed. It was not, it was not fulfilling what it had been called to do. Although, although it was certainly in a better position than the Gentiles, it was not fulfilling what it was placed within it. It was not, it was not fulfilling what the, it was meant to do. It, 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 there was a repression upon it. There was a lid upon them. And, and it says so much that when the, the, the desolate and the, the barren, once they had cried aloud, that they actually would end up with greater children than the married women. And see, what that, what that really means is it's when, when the Spirit of God, when the lid was lifted, when the, the curtain was torn in two and the Spirit of God was released upon the world, a new church was created, a church of Jesus Christ that was laid, a church for all mankind, a church for the Jew and the Gentile to come together where the Spirit of God would be released. It was like the catalyst for new life to be born upon the world. Once combined into that church, there was, there was the ability to multiply. An offspring was created. It said that offspring was, uh, was prophesied to inherit the nations and to populate the uninhabited cities or, or the cities that were not saved. The cities with not a single saved person in them, they, they, would, be, uh, they would be populated by the children of the desolate and the married women, the combined family in the church of God. And see, it took, it took the, the lid being lifted, it took the release of the Spirit to bring about the interaction that fashioned the body of Christ. So I have a question for you this morning. If lifting the lid is our avenue to enlargement, is that uh, so that we can fit more inside? If we, if we lift the lid, is that, is that that we can fit more inside? Is, is enlarging our capacity meaning that we can carry more? Well, does that mean for what purpose? Is that for our own consumption? See, human nature sort of generally thinks in terms of, of growth, in terms of, you know, the accumulation, the absorption, the swelling of, of, of what you receive, to take it inside, to become swollen. But God's enlargement has a different purpose. Amen? It has a different purpose because it, it has a purpose. God's purpose is always to communicate his nature and his love to the needy and the desperate. That is, that is what God's purpose is. And, and so there seems like an impasse. So... The question then is, like, is, is the lid there, prevent, if there is a lid, is it there to prevent, is it preventing the filling of the vessel or the decanting of what's inside, of the pouring out of what's inside? Now, I have a, a controversial statement for you. This is my controversial statement alarm, silent alarm. It's just for you guys to see, not the podcast people. You should have come to church. <laughs> God doesn't enlarge your capacity, you do. God doesn't enlarge your capacity, you do. See, God inputs the gifts. He inputs the talents. But those are a function of his grace. They're not a function of our capacity. We, we get no credit for talent. Because you're born with talent, right? You're born with gifts. A gift is given freely. It's not something that you have worked towards. It's not something that you've had any part in. It doesn't equal capacity. Gifts and... Uh, I was thinking about the, the parable of the, the talents. And you, you look at the, the first two servants. The first two servants who were given... Uh, first one was given five talents. Second one was given two talents. And when, and when God came back to them, uh, or when, when the master came back to them, the first one returned five talents as well, and, and had made a further five talents. And the, and the second one had returned the two talents and had made a further two talents. And God actually, he, 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 he built them up. He encouraged them equally. His wording was equal to them. 
But they had had different capacities. They'd had different amounts. They'd been given different amounts. They had been given different <coughs> talents. And in return, they, they returned different levels of talent. But that, that didn't matter to God. The, the quantity was not really of any purpose, uh, not any interest. It was the fact that they had done with what they had been given. They had enlarged what they had been given. It wasn't, it wasn't that, that they had more or they had less. It was that they had returned on what they had been given. And, you know, so God gives the gifts, God gives the talent, God gives the impetus within us. It's circumstances that create that decision point. It's circumstances that create the, the moment at which you have to make a decision. Uh, I don't know if any of you were at uh, uh, Pastor Kevin and Cheryl's uh, New Year party, and they have a big, massive table, and everybody brought food, and there was a table full of all this savory food. And, and you know, was, if you were there, if you were at the party, you were allowed to eat it. In fact, you could really eat as much of it as you wanted. Now, you had to probably be a bit sneaky if you were going to do that. And so you might have to get a plate, join the queue, get your f- plate filled up, then join the back of the queue, eat it while you're in the plate. And then when, and sooner or later, nobody else will be able to eat anything. And you'll just be standing at the table. And then someone says, dessert! So you're like, yes, we get to do this all over again. But, uh, so, so it was laid out before you. And you had the opportunity to fill up on as much as you wanted. But we all have a natural capacity. You can't, you can't just have a larger capacity just because there's a larger spread. My mum has a tiny stomach, tiny tummy. She would, she would eat like a carrot and be like, oh, I'm stuffed. <laughs> I'm looking to enlarge my capacity. <laughs> but just because, just because God places us in the right conditions and feeds our lives doesn't in and of itself mean that we are enlarged. That is upon us to respond appropriately to opportunities to break out. And so if you could turn your minds or your Bibles to 1 Kings 17, I'd like to tell you the tale of Elijah and the widow. 1 Kings 17, 10 to 16. So he arose and went to and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. I love that, by the way. In fact, oh, could you just get me a drink of water? You know, I guess I could get you a drink of water. And he's like, oh, now I've got her on the hook. Can I have something to eat as well? <laughs> That's my kind of guy. Uh, so she said... As, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and, and we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make yourself uh, and your, uh, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. An interesting thought on this. Did the widow have more 
when she had the, sh the flour in the bin and the oil in the jar? Or did she have more when she gave really what she had left to Elijah? Conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, show me, show me your assets, I'll tell you your worth. Mm. Right? If you have an accountant, you... Uh, they can tell you all that stuff. If you, if you have your friends, you, you want to make it seem as big as possible. If you're talking to the tax man, you want to make it seem as small as possible. But show me your assets, I'll show you your worth. And if you are, if you are broke, then you portion out everything you have left to make it last as long as possible. But faith determines your capacity by how much you can give. Yeah. Can you give it all? This widow was asked, can you give it all? Spending all that you have in the pursuit of his kingdom. It's a different mentality there, isn't there? There's a different thought pattern going on because conventional wisdom says, I am what I have. My capacity is what I have on the inside. Faith talks about something totally different, totally counterintuitive. I am my, my faith, my capacity is defined by what I can give. What she and her son had guaranteed, what they actually had guaranteed, what they had in the bank, as it were, was one last meal. That's like what you give a, that's a convict on death row. You have one last meal. And in foregoing that last meal, she and her son actually lived. The interesting thing is that her son was actually not a part of this discussion whatsoever. She had to make that decision at that time, in that moment, knowing that they had one last meal. One last day, one last opportunity, and she had to make the decision, do I forego that in the pursuit of faith, in the pursuit of giving to this man of God? She, he hadn't made any promises at that point. He hadn't said, oh yeah, you, you're not going to run out of anything. He didn't make any promise at that point. Mm -hmm. She had to go in faith. Yeah. And so the decisions you make, the decisions you make with what you have been given, with what you have, whether you realize it or not, they affect the lives. They have far-reaching consequences beyond ourselves. They extend far and beyond what we see just before us, what we see in the present day. And the other thing is that meal, that meal that she gave, it only had power. It only had power when it was given. In every other circumstance, in every other way in which you could use those ingredients, it was totally natural. It was totally uh, limited it had a complete limit, a shelf life as it was. Mm. And in the only way in which it had power was when it was given in a way that did not benefit them at all. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And yet it was the only way that they would actually live. They would actually find life. Yeah. When, we were, uh, when, when Laura and I had our uh, first son, Nathan, uh, we had had to, in the space of like a month or so, we'd had to buy a new house we had had to buy a, a replacement car, uh, and we had a baby, which are pretty expensive. Uh, and we'd had to do up the house as well. So we were kind of, when we got round to winter, uh, we didn't have very much money left. And so it was pretty cold, as, you know, you might appreciate. Uh, and our upstairs, for some reason, I can't understand this whatsoever. Maybe one of you guys will know this and you can tell me later. But we had central heating all throughout the house, except, except for the two bedrooms upstairs. We had a kitchen, uh, no, a bathroom. We didn't have a kitchen upstairs, that'd be weird. Uh, we had a bathroom upstairs, and it had, a heat, it, had a, it had a radiator, but neither of the bedrooms did. So it was freezing, freezing, freezing cold. And we were given uh, 
around about the time that uh, Nathan was born, we were uh, given, like, you know, a bit of money from, from somebody. Uh, and it was like, oh, you know, here's, here's a bit of money. You should put it in a, in a savings account and, uh, you know, use it. He'll be able to pay for his university. And, I mean, it wasn't that much money, but it's to go towards, I guess. And, and so we, we, but we never, we hadn't put it into the bank account. We just, just had the money there. And, and we decided that that was a very, that was a very uh, noble thing to do. But uh, we were worried he was going to freeze. Uh, and so we spent the money on a heater. We went and bought a, an oil heater for his room with all that money. Uh, I mean, as I said, it, wasn't, it was enough money to buy an oil heater. Uh, here's the thing. He probably wasn't... I mean, he would have been really ill if we hadn't done that. He would have been really... He would not have been well in a place. And there's, there's a saying that goes, uh, a shroud has no pockets. It means you can't take it with you. You know, we needed to spend that money at that time to do something right there and then. And it wasn't something that necessarily benefited in this long time. It was something that, that just had to be a response to the situation. We face dilemmas in our life all of the time. And, and we have to ascertain... You know, what is going to sustain us what, and, and, and what we can sell, what we can exchange, what we can negotiate with. But have you ever considered what you can spend? Have you ever considered with what you have, what you can spend, what you can, what you can give out of? We do not, we, we are not called to live sparing lives. Do we, do we, do we uh, serve and worship a sparing God, a God who budgets with, with his outpouring, a God who budgets with uh, his love that he gives for us, his budgets with his forgiveness, budgets with his desire and plans to prosper us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We, we serve a God of abundance, yeah. of prosperity, of overflow. And, and although it might seem like I'm just talking, I'm not talking financially, I'm talking like about your life. I mean about the capacity upon your life. I talk about the, the ability to, to forgive, the ability to build another person up, ability yeah. to encourage another person, ability to lead another person, ability to talk life in a situation of death. Yeah. Why do we ration what God has given us freely and abundantly. Yeah. When, we were, when, we were, when we were small boys, I got two brothers, we used to go on holiday and, and I used to play this game with them which was to see which one I could get to spend all of their uh, holiday money the quickest. We'd be given like, I don't know, £10, £20, something like that for two weeks and this was meant to buy like magazines and sweets and things like that. But I, I, I was the older brother and, and so I guess I had this the perversion of like trying to get them to spend it as quick as possible so they wouldn't have any money left. And my uh, <laughs> big brothers are really cruel. I don't know how any of us will make it to heaven. <laughs> but uh, my middle brother, the brother next down from me, he was very prudent with his money. He would, he would generally not spend any of it the whole whole time. And, and if we ever saw any visit, uh, if we ever saw any family or that, that and they you know, gave us a pound or two, he'd come back with more money than he left with. But my younger brother, he was gregarious. He would, he would, he would spend it all on the first day. He would go, oh, that looks like a pretty good action man toy. Would use all your money. He's, oh, no, that looks great. I'm going to go and buy that. Interesting thing. He would go and spend all his money on the first, first day. But his pot would get renewed. His, my, my, I, I guess it was the, uh, the willingness of my parents just to sort of make sure that he was sort of looked after. And so the funny thing is that although my middle brother always had all his money, at the le- uh, money left over at the end, my youngest brother ended up with so much more because there was a willingness to spend. There was not this 
conservatism yeah. within him. And in fairness, it was because he was probably four years old and had no common sense. But uh, maybe it was like unintentional genius. I don't know. But uh, there's a little bit of like that with us, God, with, with God. God puts so much within us. Yeah. And there's an inclination to restrain it, yeah. to conserve it. Like, like as if you're worried that it's going to go somewhere. Mm. Uh, and it's because when, when we come to pouring out of what was within us, we don't have, if, we, if we're approaching it from a place of obligation and a place of responsibility, like you feel like you, you should be doing this, then, then you're almost fighting against yourself. Mm. You're fighting against yourself. The true motivation for the outpouring of your life comes from our right standing with God. Yeah. Our relationship with God carries us yeah. into releasing what he has poured into us. Yeah. See, you don't have to worry so much about what it is you are pouring. Some of us worry, oh, well, I can only really do out of my ministry, out of the giftings of my heart. You know what? I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. God asks us to serve. God asks us to, to, to muck in, to, to give of ourselves, to not hold back, to be spent. Rather, 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 rather than worrying about what we are pouring, just worry that we are connected to the hand that pours. Yeah, that's okay. Just worry about being connected to the hand that pours. We have a natural tendency to sort of hold back on that righteousness of God residing within us. We're predisposed to conserve it and to stall. I don't think, just to give an example... I don't think cars do this anymore. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a time where I remember that if you had a car and you didn't have very much petrol in it and you parked on a really steep hill, come back, you couldn't get your car to start. Now, I don't hear about, I haven't heard about that for years. So maybe cars like figured a way around that, like anti-gravity petrol or something like that. But literally you would get back to your car and you're like, oh, I haven't got much petrol and you know, because it all, it all sort of gone to the bottom. It got the wrong end of the tank. And so you'd have to get somebody to help you push the car. But you have to consider this is two tons sitting on a hill. Not very safe. Uh, the inclination within us is much like that sometimes. The natural inclination is to conserve. To conserve what's on the inside. To not outpour what is on the inside. Yeah. But proximity to God, it inclines our lives. It inclines our lives. It it takes our lives and it inclines it in such a way that what he has placed within the inside of us runs out. Amen. Do you know what I mean? It runs out. It's not not a discipline. It's a position. In discipline, you might rock that thing back and forth and you might splash out. Mm -hmm. Splash out a little bit of the reservoir within. But when you are inclined, if you are, if you see a mountain and, and the closer you get to that mountain, the more your sort of your head goes up, your body opens up, you, you incline yourself towards that. As you approach the hill of the Lord, as you approach the mountain that God is upon, then, then your life opens up. The, 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 the joy within opens up. The, the, what God has placed upon the inside begins to pour freely from what is upon the inside. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Your whole stance changes you become inclined towards God your proximity is what matters if I if I'm referenced once more and I'm I'm only finished in just a second so maybe someone could uh play a few keys on the keyboard (laughs) keys on the keyboard if I can go back to the um that parable from the uh parable of the talents there was a wicked servant as well so there was a two that that God honored but there was one who who took the talent and just, and just didn't do anything with it whatsoever. And it was because 
they saw no gain in investing the talent. They saw no gain in investing what had been given to him. In fact, all he acknowledged was the risk that was involved. He said, oh, you're a hard master. Didn't want to lose any of it. He'd refused to make himself vulnerable. He'd insulated himself from criticism and disappointment. And that, that's a conservative ideology that, that is in complete contrast to God's. It says, says the master whom reaped where he'd not sown and gathered where he'd not scattered seed. The master, God, is an opportunist. He's an entrepreneur. He, he takes opportunities. He's not, he's not afraid of risk. He's not, a, he's not afraid to be vulnerable. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't conserve. He steps out. When we are withdrawn from God, we are at odds with his will and with his values. For some of us, that's self-imposed. We like lids. We invite lids. We maybe don't like them, but we invite them because they are convenient justification for moderation. To be moderate in our lives. To, to moderate how we give into others. Our availability, as it were. God's intention is that we spend. Spend. If you imagine a race... Who would you rather be? Would you rather be the person who stands at the start line, money in the pocket, feeling good, all the energy in the world, but you haven't gone anywhere? Or the person who crosses the finishing line, penniless, exhausted, but stepping into the glory of what God has called? God has called us to be spent. And the great thing about God is you can be spent and he can refill could be refilled. The, the greater joy, the, the, there is joy in the spending, but even greater joy in the refilling and the knowledge that fresh challenges rest ahead. God is looking for sons and daughters who are spent, who have given it all away. It says at the end of that parable in Matthew 25, 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. The great thing about abundance is abundance overflows. You can't put a lid on abundance. Abundance doesn't have a lid. Just keeps popping off. The pressure is too much. Lift the lid and pour out what's inside. Sometimes you need to be empty. Sometimes you need to be spent to receive any more. I just want to, just as I finish, I want to speak to a very particular, maybe peoples here. I just felt like there was, there was some people here who, just on the inside, were, were struggling with a bit topic of forgiveness. Whether it be in the apologizing, but actually more in the forgiving. I'm not apologizing to them. I've got too much self-respect. Too much self-respect to apologize to them might be time to give some of that away it might be time to spend some of that because that's not something that builds your life it's one that tears it down it's one it's a lid thanks for listening if you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times then don't forget to visit our website www.thejunctionchurch.com god bless